Great. Great, great, great. Uh, any, any generous tens in the room? Come on. Come on, who you are? Yeah, Carl. Carl? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's not a good thing? Yeah. Oh, wow. This is the Lord. Uh, cool, 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 cool. All right, any ones? Any just Ebenezer Scrooges in here? You know? Uh, okay, well, guess we won't publicly shame anyone today for being too generous or not. Okay. Today's Old Testament reading is out of Isaiah 58. It's in your handouts long. I'm going to take a deep breath and we're going to do it together. So listen along. This is from the new Revised Standard updated version. Shout out. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is this the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guard you, guide you con continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. It's the word of the Lord. Man, thanks be to God. That one's a doozy. Am I right? 
Woo. Prophets be profiting. Wait, that's not right. Yeah. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh gosh, it's not even Lent and we're already talking about fasting. So, uh, you know, the lectionary just hits you like that sometimes. So brace yourself, right? Which I'm probably going to just be totally condemned for standing up here and talking about any of this because we were just at Disney World, right? And it's just like, you know, I mean, several days we didn't eat lunch till like 2 p.m. And you've never seen a group, you know, like grown adults were like, oh gosh, you know, so just condemning myself for even reading this passage. But yeah, here's a question for us, isn't it? What does it mean to be emptied out? What does it mean to be emptied out? We have three distinct lectionary passages uh, today. You know, you get Isaiah 58 and being empty out kind of looks like justice. And uh, we had that great 1 Corinthians uh, passage, right, where it looks like humility. And then in Matthew 5, right, we talk about uh, letting God's, uh, letting our light shine, right, and the kingdom of God being visible through our lives uh, what, what does it mean to be empty, right? To empty, right? It's to, it's to have, I guess you could say it's like, what, what does it mean to have what's inside of you come out of you, right? Which I heard some of you guys experienced pretty recently, which sounds rough, uh, but, uh, you yeah, know, what, what happens? Uh, I, remember, I remember back in the day, uh, a few years ago, and, uh, and I can't remember what, what year this was at Trevega, but I remember like for the first time hearing someone talk about they were going to do a juice cleanse. You guys remember juice cleanses? People still do those? People still do ju- juice cleanses? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, so here's how it was described to me that you had this juice and you just drink this juice like constantly. And, uh, and then that I had like, it was like, you have this ring that's a, like a, this tire around your body, and what happens is, uh, uh, as the juice cleanse like does its thing, the toxins start to come out of your body. Is this anyone? Anyone? And then, uh, and then someone was like, and then your feet turn black, and and start like, and then your feet get real smelly, and then it's all the toxins leaving your body. Today knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know we had some juice cleansers here. Did you do it? Have you ever done it? Oh, okay. Yeah. It sounded, yeah, after the whole thing was described to me, I'm like, that sounds horrible. That's really, that's like frightening. Like, I think I'll keep my donut, thank you, uh, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, the things we put our bodies through, am I right? Pick on Ryan a little bit, but uh, Ryan's recently telling me how he takes cold showers now, uh, you know, and so uh, you have to ask him why. I can't remember. I think it's some voodoo or something, but uh, yeah, yeah. What, what is it that, you know, we, we put ourselves through a little bit of pain or a little bit of discomfort sometimes in order to get hopefully a healthy result uh, or something that gives us more life? Uh, some of us were recently talking about smudging. Uh, right where you you get some sage and you burn it in our house. Uh, I, I've done this. I've done this in our house before. Uh, Emily's probably none the wiser because she wasn't home and I knew she'd freak out probably. But I'm like I'm like driving out the spirits, you know. But it's about. Uh, but really, it's this ancient practice that's been been used through indigenous uh, people for thousands of years. You know, we like to think that sounds kind of hokey pokey, but you know. It's been going on for a millennia, and you're like, what, 30? Uh, and so 
it's, uh, right, what does it mean to say that we're doing something uh, to, to take something out that doesn't belong here, right? And in the case of, I think it's really interesting thinking about like burning sage or smoke or something because it's this thing that's not, it's not solid or liquid, uh, right? You can see it, but you, you can't see it, right? Uh, you, it's there, but you can't touch it. And there's, there's this sort of like, uh, there's sort of this both-and element to all of this. Uh, anyway, we're a bit in the weeds, coming back. In Isaiah... We hear the word of the Lord through this prophet, the words of God to those who have seemingly lost their way, who find themselves practicing religion, but maybe missing some of the main points. And it seems, if you read the Bible, it seems like God's harshest judgments are always sort of set aside uh, for, for those who are claiming to be God's people, but whose practices are not reflective of who God is or of God's love, right? The ones who maybe pose as good or as believers or as followers of the way, as those who ought to be doing the right things, but who may be in the end just apathetic or even worse, oppressing others, right? Just self-preserving, right? And so, in fact, even, right, we see in Scripture that these practices, even fasting or praying or giving can become twisted self-serving means. It makes me think of that uh, commandment, right? You know, the one that you were always told when, when you said the word God out of context as a child and your mom was like, don't take the Lord's name in vain. You know, if your, if your mom was from that part of the world. And, um, you know, but that's not what it meant, obviously. It, it, this commandment is about uh, something right, uh, much, much different. Um, could, could that which is love by nature allow actions that are unloving to give definition to who it is? Are you with me? Uh, what does it mean to misuse the name of God? Uh, is, is this the sort of unforgivable offense that Jesus alludes to. I think we've talked about this before, right? How could God sanction identity markers for God's self that are by nature not who God is? Um, yeah. Yet, at the same time, don't we kind of do this like every single day as we imperfectly attempt to be image bearers of God constantly, right? So the mystery unfolds. Um, by the way, this morning, I, like Jesus, will give you almost no clear answers to anything, but will make you question everything, uh, hopefully. And if I don't do that, I'm just, you know. Anyway. All of this uh, can be summarized in this theological phrase found here in Isaiah 58. As if. Look at someone this morning and say, as if. Come on, let me hear it. As if. As if. Thank you, Jeremy. You can always count on Jeremy. As if. Right here. Yet, day after day, they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. Oh, man. It's all there, right? As if, as if you practice my ways, as if you delight in me. Fasting is meant to being an empty out 
in order that life might flow through you. But your fasting is just empty, without purpose, worse, self-serving, worse, oppressing others, right? All about you. Your spiritual practices have no fruit to show. No one is fed. No one is sheltered. No one is cared for or clothed. No one finds me through you as if. Man, so, so this, is a, this is a passage. We are confronted this morning about what sort of God we are following what sort of salvation we are proclaiming, right? Uh, none of us here are strangers to the mental ascent version of salvation, right? I feel like most of us probably grew up with that version, uh, right? That, that God's salvific work among us is boiled down to us mentally assenting and agreeing to certain theological ethics and framework uh, in our minds, but we call them hearts, and we say, if I believe this or agree with this doctrine, then that's salvation, right? And so we, we separate, we segregate, right? That, that what God desires from us is some moral purity, right? That what God wants from our piety or from our fasting or emptying out is just emptiness. Um, so if you guys know me, you know that... Uh, I've given countless sermons uh, with cups of water and glasses <laughs> because it's my favorite analogy that just keeps giving. <laughs> so uh, you're welcome because, uh, you know, I actually, I think I should write a book one day about like 101 analogies that's the same one that you can use in 100 different sermons. So uh, anyway, if God, right, pours into us, if we are poured into, if we have anything filling us up, uh, right, we have something in us, right? And, if, and if, we're, if we're going to be emptied out, well, well that, that, that goes somewhere, doesn't it? Now, we can, either, we can either pour ourselves out into someone or something or maybe even nothing at all, right? which would be ultimately wasteful. I know when we were doing a kid's lesson uh, like a year ago or something, and there's these kids' books now about like filling others' buckets. You guys know what I'm talking about? The invisible buckets that we have on top of our heads. And it's like when you, you know, say this mean thing to this person, it takes from their bucket, you know, and then, but you can fill other people's buckets up, and this magic thing happens when you're filling other people's buckets, your bucket gets magically filled again. Anyway, it's really, it's really cool. There's some good, YouTube it, okay, I promise it's good. You guys are like, this sounds, I don't know, but uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I should just, I should have just read that book, but um, when I am emptied out, it goes somewhere. And we can either, um, you know, if, if, if all we're concerned about is, is getting our heart right in these situations, and that's what I'm taking from this text, right? So that we aren't left behind or something, right? This passage has some potent content for us, right? If that's what we're concerned about, if all we're concerned about this morning is finding some ground of moral purity in our emptying out and in our fasting, then it's just like, it's kind of a waste, 
Nobody step there. Somebody's going to eat it later. Right? But if what I, what is poured into me, goes into my neighbor, right? Well, that seems appropriate. And then I just get filled up again. Mm, we could give a cup of cold water to someone in need. The church at large gets really stuck at this spot. We frequently put all of our eggs into that sort of moral purity basket. And salvation quickly becomes all about just doing exactly what the Bible says. Because that's what the Bible says, right? And all of a sudden, the Bible comes conveniently really black and white. And uh, it doesn't matter what you think about these rules because they're right there in the Bible. And who are you to question any of this, right? Does any of this sound familiar? And so it doesn't matter if God seems unloving to you or if any of these rules seem unloving to you. Uh, you know, God is pretty well bigger than you are and God is pretty well smarter than you are. And so you probably just need to suck it up before you get left behind or worse, smoting, right? You want to get smoked? Are you with me? I love the good news of the gospel. What? People are leaving the church? What? Uh, right? We do this, don't we? Uh, it's dangerous. Jesus, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This instruction isn't about us being like, let's be more strict, right, like the Pharisees, but it's about actually practicing what we're preaching, about actually loving God and neighbor, right? This is where the law is fulfilled. And so have we segregated our spirituality from, from, from the material, segregated our salvation from, our salva from the, the salvation of our neighbors or from the salvation of creation, right? Uh, Gurdam preached on entire sanctification last week like a boss and uh, right and how there's no such thing uh, for holy living to to um, to not be communal living and, and I think that's true right speaking of the commandments uh, you're familiar with that time that they came up to Jesus and we're like we're gonna we're gonna see what he says and like, Jesus what's the greatest commandment and Jesus is like Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second is like it. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Two, you know it. Let's go. We're going places. Just messing with you. Yeah, loving your neighbor. Can we, just, can we just pause here? Because how is the second one at all like the first one, Jesus? You ever notice we never question that? Like, how is loving your neighbor as yourself like loving God with everything that you've got? You know what I'm saying? Like, we were just thinking about, like, Jesus was getting on our level. Jesus is breaking it down for us. Unlike so many other times, Jesus actually gives an explicit answer to something. It's very rare. He's like, love, I got this one. But what we've done maybe is just kind of attempting to choose the top one and left the second one as kind of secondary uh, in a way, right? As if that was what Jesus was saying. Jesus knows 
that there is no such thing as separating loving God from loving neighbor, which is why they're both in his answer, right? That there is no such thing as loving God with everything you've got without loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, recently in the, the, the class that, that I've been in, we spent a lot of time marinating on the causes of poverty, right? And when we get down to it, of course, poverty isn't something that is defined by uh, lack of money or food or shelter and that sort of thing. But of course, it's, it's about lack of relationships, uh, right? My friend uh, Todd in Flint, Michigan, he likes to talk about Ubuntu, uh, which is a phrase slash philosophy of life um, that's rooted in the Zulu people from South Africa. But um, loosely, it can be translated as humanity. Um, but it can also be translated as I am because we are. And I love that. It's so beautiful. It's really, uh, it's about, you know, sh sharing and, and, and seeing, seeing the identity and image of God in everyone. And uh, we think about like passages like Acts 2 or Acts 4. Um, but Todd shares this story about uh, a white anthropologist who had been studying the habitats and culture of this remote uh, African tribe. And he had been working in the village for some time and was finally getting ready to return home. And he wanted to do something for the kids in the village. And so he got together this really just cool like fruit basket kind of situation. And then he took all the kids and he lined them up and he said... Look, whoever can, like, get to that tree over there first will get this fruit basket. You know, it's going to be great. And then he counted them down and said, go. And then instead of just taking off, all the kids paused, locked arms, and ran together to the tree, right? And, of course, the anthropologist is just, like, floored. Like, he didn't expect this at all. And then he's like, uh, I guess you're sharing, you know. And they all just collectively dug into this fruit basket. And then he asked them why they did that. And this little girl chimed up and said, well, how can one of us be happy if everyone else is sad? Right? That's a legitimate question, right? And so I think often we can, we try to demonize this kind of line of thinking sometimes. We like to label it. It's like, that's socialism. That's fill in the blank. That's whatever, right? We can poke as many holes as we want to in something like this. This is idealism. This is, this is how it's going to be in the kingdom of heaven when we get there, you know, and we're looking forward to that day. And until then, you know, like, you know, reading a Chick-fil-A and bringing on capitalism. I don't know, whatever you fill in the blank there. I don't know. That just happened. Uh, I like Chick-fil-A. It's fine. Um, you know, this is the writing of the wall for us all in scripture, isn't it? I mean, we could stand up here. We could talk about Trinitarian theology. We could talk about ecosystems and the way we're all connected. Uh, there's an author, theologian, George Newlands, and he talks about how Christ shows up uh, in this sort of philosophy even more. He names, he names this as a Christomorphic notion and references passages like uh, Matthew 25 where Jesus says, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Jesus inserts himself within the communal bodies of marginalized people, 
right? It's not about uh, loving people just because God tells us to, but that in loving others, we are loving God quite literally. And so what does it mean that God is present with those who are suffering beyond even our visible understanding? And so those words in, in Matthew 25, they're kind of searing, right? When did you... When, when did we see you, Lord, and you were hungry and we didn't feed you? When, when did we see you, God, and, and, and you were cold and we didn't, we didn't cover you up? Jesus was like, as if, right? As if. You saw one of the least of these. You saw me. And so this morning, uh, if salvation unfolds in our togetherness, and our coalescence and our journey together and our Ubuntu, right? Um, I would venture to say that sin unfolds in our separation. I think, I think separateness is also a good synonym for sin this morning. And all the ways that we divide, all the ways that we put up walls, are the, all the ways that we guard the gates, that we other, that we objectify, that we label, Right? That is the posture that proves time and time again to be unloving to our neighbors. And as we know, if we unlove our neighbors, we unlove God. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. So good. Let me read it again. I'm just so good. The absence of something makes us aware of the presence of something else. And so this morning, how does this flesh out for you, I guess, is a good question to, to leave on. How does this flesh out for you this morning? What is fasting for, for you? If we're going to try to translate this passage for us, right? I think uh, we'll, we'll try to spend some time actually practicing this this morning. And, uh, and the way Jesus modeled for us, right, Christ models, right, that, that is ultimately emptied out completely on a cross so that everyone might have life, right? It's like the image, right? And so uh, this morning, uh, like we do every week, we're going to have a juice cleanse. And um, just like we pray... Every single week, we pray a prayer, and that prayer goes something like, Lord, as you have poured yourself out for us, Lord, pour us out, we pray, for also the healing of the world. Amen. Let's pray this morning, and the kids are coming back in. Lord, we give you thanks. It's a really hard scripture to read, God, and it's really uncomfortable. And we know, God, this morning there are no 
clear answers to all this, and we're going to resist trying to put them there, God. But what we do know is that you've given us so much and so much life. May our vessel and the vessel of our life be continually transformed into a conduit. And may our lives be life-giving for all others. Your name, amen. Amen.